right, well, hey everybody, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff, I'm the assistant pastor here. I am really, really excited. I have been for a couple of weeks now to share with you this morning, because if you don't know, if you happen to not be here last week, we're in our Christmas sermon series now, um, we're talking about the, the we, we call it the Bethlehem Express, it's kind of loosely based on the idea of the Polar Express and all that kind of fun stuff, right? But um, if you don't know this about me or what I happen to do here, uh, twice a month, uh, we open up our house and we have college students to come over and eat and hang out, watch football, whatever, right? A lot of times the conversation tends to stay pretty surface level, if we're honest. We're talking about our fantasy football teams. We're talking about our exams and how miserable we are, uh, all that kind of stuff. But every so often we kind of hit something and uh, we, we like to talk and it gets a little bit deeper than usual. And, and we had one of those a couple weeks ago and we were talking about the idea of belief and talking to somebody who's struggling to kind of hang on to their faith and, you know, they grew up in it and all that kind of stuff. And um, so I was, I've been thinking about this this idea ever since that conversation. Uh, and so I'm really excited because it, it fits perfectly into the theme of what we're trying to talk about through this series, which is the idea that we are on a journey of belief. And it is, in fact, a journey. Um, and last week in the, in the first message in it, Pastor Joe shared with us how in the Gospel of John, uh, his, his whole point, the, the main thrust of him writing that book is that John's readers, both then and I believe still now to this day, would believe that Jesus is the Christ. He actually wrote that in the book. In fact, in John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs. There was a whole lot more that went on than what I'm just telling you about. He did those in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these... The ones I've been telling you about for the last 19 chapters, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Um, now that's towards the end of John's gospel, but if you look at some of the other gospels, let, let's not take Mark into account because Mark just starts off and says, here we go, the beginning of the gospel, we're into it, okay? But in Matthew, Matthew begins his gospel account with a genealogy or a lineage or a family tree if you want to look at it that way. So Matthew traces Jesus all the way back throughout time over the years to flesh and blood people that people would have known about, they would have heard about, they would have believed that they were very much real. And, and, and Matthew is tying Jesus into that same flesh and blood lineage. And then Luke, I was just reading this this morning. I wasn't originally going to share it, but I read it and felt like it, it, it just goes perfectly with this. And now also Luke was a doctor, so he's really smart. So he's going to say things like insofar and in as much and whatnot. So just Stick with it, okay? But this, this is how Luke begins his gospel account written to his friend Theophilus. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, don't miss that, eyewitnesses, they actually saw the stuff that they were telling you about and passing down to you, okay? And ministers of the word have delivered them to us Okay. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past. In other words, Luke is saying, I've been following the story as it's developed, and it seemed like a good idea to me that I write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. 
Later on in, in scripture, Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he says, I want you to know the hope you have in Christ and I want you to know the love of Christ. Not just have a general sense, not just have a general feeling, but I want you to know this. I want you to have certainty about this. And so here's the general idea that I want to share with you today and, and I want to ex expound upon it. As we consider the fact that we are invited to believe, as we consider the fact that we're on a journey of belief, as we consider the fact that in belief in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with him and we have eternal life in him, we are not told to believe simply without access to any proof or any reason whatsoever. Okay, we're not told to believe without access to proof or reason. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and somebody talked to me about this in between the services, and they're like, I disagree with you because you have to have faith without seeing. And it's like, I totally agree with you. Okay, but here, this is where it gets so like, this is so God and like paradoxical and weird. And if it makes your head spin, that's the right idea. Okay, because on one hand, yes, Jesus even himself said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen right? Scripture says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, okay? And yet, even within that, that verse, which is in Hebrews, that verse, there's two sides of the same coin because we always fixate on the whole idea that it's the evidence of things not seen. But what about the fact that it is evidence, right? It is evidence. Faith is evidence. What does it mean for something to be evident, Okay, if you look it up in a dictionary, it's going to say something like this. Evident means plain or clear to the sight or understanding. Okay, so somehow we are invited to believe without seeing, to have faith, right? And yet we are told that to have faith is to have evidence. It is to have clarity of sight and clarity of understanding. How exactly does that work? right? We got to wrestle with that just a little bit. And I want to talk about that because I, I tend to believe that one of the biggest reasons that people give up on their faith, one of the, one of the reasons people give up on Christianity is because they might've heard all the stories. They may have even heard other people's stories, but they don't have much that they can go off of just for them, right? I've seen God do this in, in, in that person's life, but what has God actually done for me and in my life? And what I want to encourage you in this Christmas season is I want to encourage you to look. I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for those things. Because for me personally, I can think of a few um, off the top of my head. I can think about a time where I was a sophomore in college and I had a car payment at the time. I was working a summer job and my very last summer job paycheck was, no lie, to a penny, the amount that I needed to make my car payment for that month. And then I was without a job, okay? I can think of a time when I asked God for a phone call specifically, and he gave me that very phone call that I was looking for. And it was everything that I needed. I can remember a time where my, my conversation with God was, okay, God, if you will just open up the doors for me to walk through, I'll do the things that you're asking me to do. Because uh, I was in a time in my life where I thought that I wasn't ever gonna go anywhere in your ministry again. And, and, and within the course of just a few weeks, God opened the door for me to help do worship at uh, two different retreats, help me to do content for a young adults group I was a part of, all these sorts of things. And I could go, I, we could do more, and I'm sure a lot of you could do some as well. But these are just the things that as I look over the course of my life, it's like, listen, I can't tell you it was anything other than God because I asked for this thing and God did that very thing. And sometimes that's the power or the, the, the benefit, if I can say it that way, 
of prayer is that when you pray, you start to look for the thing that God is going to do, which means it's no longer just a happy little coincidence, right? Anyway, that being said, it seems to me that maybe, just maybe, we've kind of gotten good at convincing people that they ought to believe. Like morally, you ought to do this because this is bad or, or this is bad. And if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell, right? We've learned to tell people what they shouldn't do. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't be gay, don't say anything offensive, don't sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, don't do drugs, etc., and so on. People know what the church is against, okay? It's not a stretch to say that. Okay, people know what we are against, but when we frame our whole argument and our whole persona and our whole identity as the people of God on what we are against, then it becomes really difficult for people to see what we're actually for, right? So we have to ask the question, what are we for? And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the mission statement of this church is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and to see their lives changed through discipleship. Now, part of the trick with that statement is showing people, convincing people that their lives even need to be changed. Because the message that goes out throughout all of culture, it seems, is you are good just the way you are. The way that you uh, were born is perfect. The way that you respond to your surroundings is exactly the way it's supposed to be. You are enough. You, there's nothing wrong with you, right? But scripture and the whole narrative of the gospel seems to kind of fly in the face of that. It, it's gentle, loving God gospel kind of way, right? Because the gospel shows us that we are weak, that we are broken, that we are frail, that we're prone to addiction, that we're prone to selfishness, greed, war, so on and so forth. If you and I just take a look around us and see the world in the state that it's in, and all you got to do is open up Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, watch the news, get on Facebook, and you'll just see that the world is not the way that it ought to be. Because children shouldn't be without their parents, People shouldn't fear violence when they walk around a city at night. Men shouldn't abuse women. Women shouldn't manipulate men. Marriages shouldn't end. Nations shouldn't be at war with each other. The economy should be in a much better state than it is. It should be fairer than it is. People shouldn't be going hungry. Racism shouldn't be a thing. So on and so forth. The evidence that, that things are not the way they should be is all around us. And the irony is everybody knows that. And yet somehow the message continues to be, no, you're good the way you are, but that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel message is that the gospel of the kingdom has begun. A new rule and reign of Jesus Christ has been inaugurated, and that means that the landscape is changing. And it's changing little bit by little bit. It does so one person at a time. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's a rate at which we oftentimes lose patience, Right? Because God doesn't necessarily come in and just sweep everything and change everything and do a whole renovation overnight. It happens. The kingdom imposes itself onto the kingdom of darkness when an addict becomes clean. Or when someone who has spent their whole entire life as a pathological liar finally learns what it means to be honest and to start living in reality. It changes when someone whose selfishness has wrecked their relationships throughout their entire lives learns to put other people first for a change. It, it, the, the, the landscape changes when marriages that seemed unfixable and unhealable start to reconcile and people within it 
change. When people who have dabbled in witchcraft or Satanism or paganism, things like that, turns and worships Jesus Christ. When one person who receives a cancer diagnosis has the church pray for them, they go back for their follow-up and they can't find a shred of evidence that there was even cancer to begin with. When God starts to put things right in the world, that is when the gospel becomes noticeable. And the invitation that I want to extend to you this Christmas, no longer, no, doesn't matter how long you've believed or even if you don't consider yourself a believer, is to come and see. Come and see. Or if I can put it this way, try Jesus. <laughs> Read the Gospels, read the Sermon on the Mount, do the things that Jesus tells you to do and see what starts to happen in your life. Now, I mentioned we're basing this sermon series kind of loosely on the idea of the Polar Express and um, Joe made it mandatory for us to watch it uh, as staff and so I'm, I'm never gonna complain about getting to watch a movie and say that it's work. So, you know, there you go. Um, but there, the, the climax of that film for me as I watch it is towards the very beginning. It's the very moment where he begins to get on the train because he's just in his room, lying in his bed at night, and, and slowly but surely, like, you see little things rattling, and then you start to kind of hear the, the sound faintly in the distance, and then the light starts to pour in, and then the train gets closer, and it gets really bright, and everything's shaking, and he grabs his robe, and he runs out, and he stands, and the train has stopped in front of his house. And you hear the conductor, Tom Hanks, one of his six different roles in that movie, just a fun movie trivia for you. Um, he says, all aboard. And he makes eye contact with the kid and he says, you coming? And they have an interaction and the kid, you know, doesn't believe that, you know, he's really going to North Pole and, and whatnot. But, but something that, that um, the conductor says to him in the middle of that is, if I were you, I'd think about hopping on. It's not a threat, right? It's an invitation. You want to see that this thing is real for you. If I, were, if I was you, I would think about hopping on. In other words, come and see. Come and see what it's all about. And I just want to let you know that this Christmas, the question the conductor asked the boy is the same question that I want to ask you. Are you coming? Are you going to come and see what this is all about? Whether you've been going to this church and you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're somewhat new or whether you're brand new to it, whether you left and you're coming back, the invitation is for you. Okay. Let me get a text. I need somewhere to work out of because in my mind, it's like I got to have some sort of home base that we want to uh, talk about. So I want to invite you to go ahead and find Luke chapter two in your Bible or in your Bible app. Um, however you have it, if you don't have one of those uh, readily accessible, we always throw it up on the screen just so that you can follow along. Uh, but Luke two, we're going to go to verses eight through 20. And if you've seen a Charlie Brown Christmas, you've probably heard this a uh, number of times, but this is what it says. Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away uh, from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to them the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay. Now, depending on how long you have been going to church on or around Christmas or how many times you've watched Charlie Brown at Christmas time, you've probably heard the story a bazillion times. Okay. Uh, it starts to have a certain cadence and familiarity to it. Okay. But it's a pretty remarkable if we just stop and take a, take a look at it just a little bit closer than we sometimes do at this time. And so as we look at this passage in light of that question, in light of that invitation, are you coming? I think we're going to see a few different things that rise to the surface. The first thing is simply this. The invitation is for you. And by you, I mean you. <laughs> I mean not you. I mean you as an individual. Okay? Because as we, as we read this, if you look at, the, at Luke's account so far, there is no mention of these shepherds. These shepherds are not called by name. They're, for all intents and purposes, they're nobodies. They're just hanging out watching over their flock by night. And, and this may or may not surprise you, but shepherd is not a particularly prestigious occupation to have in this day and age. And in fact, shepherds were seen as an unreliable group of people to the point where they wouldn't even be allowed to testify or, or hold witness in court. And yet, in one of those ways where it's like, God, what are you thinking? The, the, the people that he appears to, to give this good news to, he sends his angel down to the shepherds who aren't allowed to testify in court to testify of all that they heard and all that they saw. And they say that, the, the, that Jesus, the Christ, is going to be born and the good news of great joy will be for all the people. That's you and I, still, to this day. You and I aren't shepherds. We don't live in the same time, in the same place that they do. But we are equally nobodies and we're equally everybodies like they were. The good news is for us. You are not too young. You are not too old. You are not too important. You are not too insignificant. You are not too big. You are not too small. You are not too good. And you are not too bad for this good news to be good for you. In fact, as we were singing this morning, I, I had to pause and, and, and sit down for a second and think about the line we sang in that third song where he says, when a sinner's heart is all that I can bring, still he welcomes me. Friends, that's in reality, that's all we have to bring. Because scripture tells us that all of our righteousnesses or all the good things that we try to do for God, they're like filthy rags. They're, they're not doing him any favors. He doesn't need anything that we have. And yet he welcomes us. In the Psalms, verse, uh, chapter 51, verse 17, he says, A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you do not despise, O Lord. And that's the good news for us. You're not too smart. You're not too dumb for this good news to be for you. The second thing that we see is that the invitation is something extraordinary, okay? It's an easy detail for us to miss, especially if we're really familiar with this passage, okay? Because we, we go through and we read and it's like, okay, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, okay? Great. We've all heard that. However, they would have heard that and said, okay, you're going to find a baby. Cool. Because you just told me that the Christ is going to be born. So I'm expecting a baby, 
right? Um, <clears throat> it's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. All well and good. That's what we tend to wrap little babies in. I'm keeping an eye out for that. That's nothing special. Lying in a manger. Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> right? Just, just understand that that word manger, it can mean there's a little spectrum of classiness for that. Okay? Manger could be something as nice and luxurious as the stall where a, a, a livestock like a cow or a horse or a sheep or whatever, that's the place where they sleep. That's the place where they hang out throughout the majority of the day. But on the lower end of that scale, it's the trough that they eat out of. Either way, you are looking for a baby in a barn. Not a bed, not a crib. You're looking for a baby in a barn. That is not something that you are going to see every single day. Just like you're not going to see a train pull up to the front of your house and Tom Hanks hop off of it and invite you to go to the North Pole every single day. So as God invites you to come and see, just know that he's inviting you to see something extraordinary. Okay, something that is not just plain Jane everyday kind of stuff. He's inviting you to see a radical transformation or a radical series of events happen in your life and maybe even in the lives of people around you. Because see, God isn't in the business of just making bad people good. He's in the business of taking dead things and scripture would tell us we are dead in our sins. He is taking dead things and making them alive. Okay, in scripture, some of the people that Jesus would interact with, you think about the rich young ruler, if you're familiar with that story. As Jesus talks to him, he finds out, listen, I kept all the laws from the time that I was a young man. And Jesus does not say that he's lying for that. He does not prove to him that he's wrong about the fact that he's kept all the commandments. But what he tells the rich young man is you still are missing something. So what I want you to do is I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to give to the poor, come follow me, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And of course he goes away because he's disheartened because he has a lot of stuff. He still needed something. It wasn't enough that he was just a good person. Okay. As Jesus interacted with Nicodemus in John chapter three, okay, Nicodemus would have known his Bible. He would have known his scripture. He was one of the teachers of that day. Okay. But that wasn't enough. Jesus told him that he had to be born again. And then of course they had a, they had a conversation about what that means and how could that be. All that being said, we're not talking about small shifts and small transformations. We're talking about large-scale things. We're talking about the extraordinary and the supernatural. That's the realm that God operates in. And I'm not saying there's not happy coincidences, and I'm not saying that there's not little stuff that you can ask for because I absolutely believe in that sort of thing. I'm just saying God likes to, if I can just put it this way, God likes to make a show that's going to glorify himself. He likes to do something that's going to draw your attention and capture your imagination to what he can actually do. When Jesus was born, Okay, this was the fulfillment of at least 300 different prophecies, possibly a lot more. Um, but as I'm preparing a message, I didn't necessarily have time to sit down and cross-reference and do all the stuff and do it myself. So I did what any, you know, smart, reasonable person would do these days, and I went to the internet to find my source. Okay, now... I want to encourage you to get your phone out and to scan this QR code. I don't know if you've ever done this in, a, in the middle of a message before, but I invite you to do it right now, especially if you're curious about everything that Jesus's birth fulfilled, because somebody compiled this list and there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament written by different people at different times and in different places, but all fulfilled in the birth of Jesus in 
Bethlehem. It is amazing stuff, and whether you are a long-term Christian or new to it all, I think you should really have a look at that and just let your jaw hit the floor for a little bit, because it is incredible stuff. Now, here's the deal. As we're talking about it being an extraordinary invitation, I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods, and I'm not going to try to tell you that if you say yes to Jesus today, then you're going to wake up tomorrow with no problems and no pain and no difficulty in your life, okay? I can't promise you that you're never going to struggle or suffer. In fact, it's kind of promised as you chase after Jesus. I'm not going to promise you that God's going to grant your every wish because he's not a genie, he's God, okay? But I can tell you this. This gospel, this good news is so true and so real for so many people throughout time, in history, up to and including today, that people will suffer, they will die, they will be persecuted because they will not back down from what they believe to be true about this. And the, the reality is you do not risk your life for something that's trivial, okay? If it comes to violence and you start to threaten me, Okay, I will say, okay, fine, Qdoba is better than Chipotle. Or I will say, okay, fine, I'll root for your precious Cincinnati Bengals or whatever. Okay, I'm not a Bengals fan if you can't tell. No shade. You know, I'm not that kind of football fan. But that being said, you don't do that for something that is trivial. But you will risk your life for something that you believe to your core, that you have seen, that you have witnessed, that you know changes everything. And people are doing that even today. The invitation is this, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, obey him, follow him, chase after him. But the warning label is this, do not expect your life to remain the same once you do that. Okay, Jesus took his disciples from being fishermen to being fishers of men, which I personally believe is a, is a kind of poetic and clever way of saying, you're going to do the thing you did but for a different purpose. You're gonna do it for people. You're gonna do it to bring hope and life to people around you. Jesus met with a man named Saul on the road to Damascus and Saul was an avid and zealous persecutor of the church. He was overseeing people getting killed and murdered and suffering for the gospel. And then Jesus met him on the Damascus road, struck him blind, said, why are you persecuting me? And then through a series of events that you can read in the book of Acts, he takes Saul changes his name to Paul and makes him an avid and zealous church planter. So now he's perpetuating the very thing he was trying to kill before. It's a radical turnaround and it's a radical transformation. And I'm not going to sit here and promise you a Damascus, Damascus Road experience. I'm not going to promise you that the glory of the Lord is going to descend and there's going to be bright lights and all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying something's going to be different because if you're hopeless, he offers you hope. If you're addicted, if you're in bondage, he gives you freedom. If you're broken, he heals you. If you're tired and weary, he gives you rest. It is an extraordinary parisos life that God invites us into. The final thing I wanna share with you out of this passage is that the invitation has a ripple effect, okay? It's already been said that the good news was, for to, was to be for all of the people. We get some immediate proof of that in the text because as they go on, the shepherds made known the saying, is how Luke says it, as in they told everyone what the angel told them, and then all who heard it wondered. And Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. What the shepherds saw and heard caused others to wonder, and it caused Mary to ponder. In other words, what the shepherds experienced was not just for them. It was also for other people. So let me say this to two different groups in the room. If you're a Christian, share your story. 
I don't care how boring you think it is. I don't care how dull you think it is. I don't care if you got, if you got raised in a Christian home and you never did a, a thing bad in your entire life. I want you to share your story. Because your story, while it's not going to resonate with everyone, it will resonate with someone. And as people hear your story, as they start to gather these little seeds from all the different people that God is placing in their life and telling the story, it starts to pile up and they have all these shreds of evidence that they have to do something about and they have to wrestle with that. So share it. I know a couple that, that, um, that are friends of mine and between the two of them, one of them has a pretty crazy testimony. The other one's got a pretty normal one, okay? The one was like dabbling in witchcraft in high school. She met Jesus and everything changed for her and people that she knew back then can tell you how different of a person she is now. That's amazing and that's radical and that's, that's wild, okay? The husband has nothing crazy to say. He never really did anything all that bad, but his dad died when he was young and he'll tell you that through the, the way he looks at it now is God protected him from, a, from an extreme response to a difficult situation that he faced early on in life. Share your story because it will resonate with someone. Someone is going through the thing that you went through and it's important that we share that. And to those of you who are not Christians, but you're just kind of wondering, you're trying to feel all this stuff out, you're trying to see what it's all about, I want to encourage you to ask somebody that you know, that you know follows Jesus, why? What he's done in their life, why they don't quit, why they don't give up on it, why they, uh, what, what difficult questions do they have? Ask them. It might be a good growing opportunity for them because they have to wrestle with some of this hard stuff now, okay? It's a good thing. Wonder and ponder are the words used to describe how people reacted to the shepherd's account. And those are good words for us to use too. Okay, at the beginning of all this, I said that we're not told to believe without proof or reason. The shepherds went to go see Jesus after they got a pretty good reason. Okay, an angel showed up, there was bright light, there was heavenly hosts and all these kinds of things. That's a pretty good reason. Okay, I'd like to think that if that happened to you and me, we'd probably go too, okay? That's wild, okay? Then the people who heard the shepherd's account were given additional reason to believe, corroborating evidence, if you will, to all this. But I wanna share one final verse with you. From after Jesus had uh, already, he'd already died on the cross, he was buried, he'd already risen from the dead. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And just to set the stage, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are on their way to go see Jesus. And it says that an angel came down and rolled the stone away. The guards that were there at the tomb became like dead men. They fell to the ground um, and whatnot. The angel sat down on top of the stone and they, they spoke to the Marys. And this is what was said in Matthew 28, 6. The angel says, he is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So just in case the earthquake wasn't enough, just in case the guards falling to the ground to become like dead men wasn't enough, just in case the actual angel sitting on a stone in front of you was not enough reason for you to believe, the angel invites them, come and see for yourself. Don't only take other people's word for it. Come and see for yourself. And that's what I want to invite you to this Christmas, to come and see what it's all about. Come and see what God has done in the lives of people throughout time and history, in scripture, after scripture was already written. And also come and see and imagine what God can do in your life as well. Here's what I want to do. As we wrap up, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand up. Um, we're going to sing a final song, but what we like to do at this church, if you're not familiar with it, is we like to create an avenue where you can receive prayer for honestly anything that's going on. 
okay? Anything in your life that you feel a stir that you would like someone to pray for you about, please know that that invitation is broad and that is out there. But as we do this, I tend to think that there are a couple of specific groups of people that God wants to invite and to speak to and interact with this morning. So the first group is this. Those of you who believe that the invitation is not for you, okay? Maybe something happened when you were young. Maybe you've been places, seen things, done things, said things, heard things, and you just think like, no, no, no. There's no way that God wants to actually talk to me. I'm not blank enough, okay? Can I just tell you that that's not the economy that God lives in, okay? He wants to invite you. He wants to interact with you. And I promise when I say you, I mean you. I wish I could go around and point to each one of you in your face and say you, because that's what I mean. God wants to talk to you. Or beforehand, before the first service, uh, one of the people on the prayer team gave me this word. He said, people feel like they're behind. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not mature enough. I'm not wise enough. Whatever that is, you feel like you're not caught up with everybody else. You feel like maybe you're in one class and then the really spiritual people are in a different class. Can I just say that that's not how this operates? That's not how this works. So if you feel like the invitation is not for you, I want to encourage you to come forward. We would love to pray for you and we'd love to pray with you. If you're in a place where you want to believe, you just want a little help believing. You're saying, just like the guy in scripture, you said, I, I believe, please help my unbelief. I need to see something happen in my life. I need to see healing in this situation. I need to see a reconciliation. I need a phone call. I need an opportunity, whatever that is. And you are just looking for a little more to help you to believe. We want to come alongside you. We want to encourage you. And we want to pray with you in that, if that happens to be you. And then finally, there are those of you who feel like you don't have a story to tell. You kind of back with some of the other points. You don't feel like it's, it's good enough. You don't feel like it's big enough. You don't feel like it's exciting enough. You don't know that you feel comfortable talking in front of people. But let me just tell you, your story is gonna help somebody else believe. I know it. I know it for a fact. I wanna encourage you that if you're struggling to feel bold enough to share, maybe you feel the prompting when you're around a coworker, when you're around a friend, you just wanna speak up and say something, but you just don't know how and you just don't know what. I wanna encourage you to come forward. We wanna pray with you that God would loose your tongue and help you to share your story and your testimony and that this thing wouldn't fall off the stage. All right, either way, I'm not gonna spend all day here, but I wanna encourage you, even if at some point during the song, you wanna come up for any reason whatsoever and just receive prayer. We've got people that are ready and willing to come and to pray with you and for you as we do this. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you, Lord, I, I struggle so hard to put it into words because I just don't totally get it. That you invite us to believe and you say, blessed are those who believe without seeing and yet you invite us to come and see ourselves. God, I just pray for those that are in this room or even hearing my voice at whatever point that they're looking so hard. They want something that they can cling to. God, I just pray that you would draw near to us. I pray that you would do something that we cannot deny is you. Help us, God. Help us to come and to see what you're willing and what you're able to do 
in our lives. God, open up our eyes, open up our imagination to see what it is that you can possibly do. God, I pray that you would heal people who are sick, people who are facing cancer, people who are facing surgeries. God, I pray that you would heal in a miraculous and extraordinary way. And I pray that it would be because we prayed for it, we asked for it. And I pray that you would stir people's hearts, stir up their faith, solidify and strengthen their faith in you. And God, for those who are struggling to tell their story, who, who feel like they're not enough, who feel like the invitation is not for them, God, I just pray that just as, just as the psalmist said, God, that you would be our glory and the lifter of our head. I rebuke shame. I, re, I rebuke embarrassment, uh, uh, timidity, all of those things, God. I just ask and pray that you would be at work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit to, to testify to what we have seen in our own lives. And God, we leave the rest of that work to you. We leave the rest of that to you. We thank you for these things. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.